This episode is brought to you by NoCD.com. Effective treatment, breaking the cycle of religious OCD. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Uh, Hi. Wow. That's us. Being greeted by you guys is a highlight of my week. Every week. You know what's funny, too, is like the majority of our relationship is audio. Like, so is everyone else's who's listening. But like, I mostly listen to you guys here. This is true. This is it. This is most of it, actually. Sometimes our faces are involved when we Marco Polo each other. But otherwise. Yeah. It's it's always so lovely to hear both of your voices. So it really cheers. is. Cheers. Welcome. Sweet. Welcome. Cheers. cheers. Um, what are you consuming for beverages on this fine recording evening? I broke out a glass of, well, I guess it is a glass. It is a glass bottle of Topo Chico mineral water, <sighs> carbonated at the source, and a piping hot cup of Tension Tamer Tea from Celestial Seasonings. One of my Wonderful. faves. Yes. Delicious. I'm warming up the belly with a wonderful dram of the Glenlivet 15-year-old Scotch whiskey from Speyside. Ah. Just east of Inverness. Beautiful countryside. I truly now, I have like sense memories. So like I sip this whiskey and I can picture the day that we toured the distillery and like the smell on the air and all that. It's so wonderful. That's amazing. I found this wonderful kit at Walmart where you can make your own boba tea. Ooh. So I'm drinking cool. a taro milk tea with my own made boba. And it is oh, delightful. Fantastic. Mm. Yes. Are you like a classic milk tea kind of person? Oh, is amen. That your vibe? Amen. It's so good. It is everything. So it's my topic. And Stephen reminded me when this episode will be airing. And the timing of it is comically wonderful because we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. And I am reminded of the dark history of Native Americans and how they were treated by Christians and settlers. And I want us to kind of dissect a bit the impact that Christianity has had on indigenous faith and people. And what what are we to do today with the remnants of that fateful, awful experience that our Native brothers and sisters had to face. Mm. So, I guess, first, it would be kind of nice to know what, like, how much do you know of the indoctrination of Christianity to Native Americans? I think I'm woefully ignorant Mm. beyond knowing that it was bad. And in general, I guess I've kind of used feels like the wrong verb here, but I've kind of used the story as like justification for my feelings around missionary work in general as well, Mm -hmm. you know, but as far as facts and figures and actual like names involved in the story, not good. Yeah. Josh, what about you? I know about the boarding schools in Canada. I know about the... A lot. There's a lot of Catholic-led interactions with Native Americans in both the U.S. and Canada. Uh, like, for instance, not too far south of Billings and not too far away from where Emily is, there are many reservations and there are many reservation Catholic schools that still exist as a part of that history. So I, I know a little bit about that 
locally and I know about some of the famous, infamous events in U.S. history, like the Trail of Tears and some mm-hmm. of the really bad land grabbing that happens. I also don't feel as well informed as I think I could be about how theology was used to colonize Indians here. And like I, I know that it happened for sure, um, especially like in the education world. And I think that is really hard to reckon with. So I, I like that you're bringing this up. Because even though I think that, like, maybe Stephen and I here are representative of being aware, but not super knowledgeable, I think that is a good place to have this conversation because I think that many people are like that yeah. with U.S. history. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of um, my friend from college, Silas uh, Running Eagle, who is Lakota, and he took classes in college to learn Lakota so he could have conversations with family members because it's basically a dying language. Mm -hmm. And there are some members distant in his family who, you know, second language for them is English and he is trying to have conversation with them, but essentially like their native language was beaten out of them. And so for a full Lakota person to have to relearn their native language to me was very eye-opening and I'm reminded of um, John Wesley's work specifically in Georgia where his treatment of Native Americans were absolutely appalling and I was reminded also of my time in seminary where Um, a book was made from the skin of Native Americans and it was at display at the seminary Iliff in Denver, Colorado. And a lot of the work that like Tink Tinker does in regards to indigenous theology and Christianity and everything, (laughs) all this to say, I get a huge pit in my stomach when I think about loving our neighbor And looking back and seeing what that looked like for people who treated Native Americans differently, whether it was through the boarding schools or just acts of violence even. And it just makes me think about how can we today take those harsh stories and learn from them? Because I feel like we haven't really learned from them as Christians were still seeing either resentment or this, I mean, not the best way to put it, but in the idea of heathens in our midst, you know, like those who are just untaught the ways of Jesus. And I think, Stephen, like what you were saying, bringing Jesus to people, the missionary sort of mindset, I think we're still seeing that even today in the 21st century. And I just, I've been pondering how can we move away from that and really change the story today and learn from that awful past because I don't think we have yet and I don't know what the answer to that looks like. I think that's really humble of you to say as a clergy person, especially as a clergy person in rural America. I think that's very acknowledging uh, even just to like, not just acknowledge the past, but acknowledge that you're not totally sure what the solution is, but you know what it's not. Growing up in Billings, I think, was really interesting in regards to Native American culture because I don't know if you two experienced the same thing in Laurel, not too far away, um, but like my dad's church has sister churches on the reservation that like are Mm. American Baptist churches, which at some point were planted by missionaries and now are like, I almost said owned, but like culturally owned by crow people down on the Mm. reservation Mm -hmm. and so like at my dad's church we had some people who who had moved up from the reservation and had attended that baptist church down there and therefore found our church now living in billings and so like we always had um I, i remember several families one big one in particular that attended my dad's church um throughout my entire childhood and many people who were like had native heritage uh, but may not have like uh, tribal registration. So like I remember going down to the reservation sometimes with my dad to 
do work on their church uh, because they didn't have as much income as a church and often like relied heavily on volunteer labor, both from their own congregants and from other churches. And like even to this day, my dad is very involved in partnership with that church and the community that they are reaching and very much involved in. And I think that like, I don't, I don't want to just like speak for everyone, but to me, it seems like there's a much better relationship now with that reservation in particular. It's one of the largest native reservations. I don't know exactly where it ranks, but it's, it's pretty good size. The absolute, I believe it's pronounced absolutely absolute. I'm butchering that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, more commonly known as the Crow Reservation. But the sense that I get is that there's a much healthier relationship now to Christianity on the reservation with Native Americans who now identify as Christian, like both identifying the hurt of the past and also that they now see that they can be both Christian and Native American, culturally mm. both, and maybe even like faith components of both. And I think that's what's that's really intriguing to me, like especially given the hurt and abuse and marginalization that Christianity brought to Native Americans. It's really intriguing to me that there is now, at least in some parts of Native American culture, an acceptance of Christianity. Of course, I don't have numbers on that, but like, at, like to me, it's almost just as, it's similar to like other marginalized groups, like LGBTQ people being actively marginalized by the church, but people today who are identifying as both and want to be both. And I, I find that really inspiring. And I, I don't think I'll ever be able to understand that, like having a heritage of hurt and abuse mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like still choosing to participate in that system and like seeing a redemption in that system. So clearly some of it can be grassroots and community led and like certainly no pastor should ever force a church to be on a reservation or like force people to be Christian ever um, because that doesn't, not only does it not work, but it's harmful, but like clearly there can be like intermeshing still. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of like what I'm reminded of. Emily, it's, it's interesting you bring this topic after my last one, which we basically like went through the classification of religions and tried to like classify Christianity then and now. Mm -hmm. And like truly one of the few things I'm just looking over my notes, like one of the, one of the few classifications we didn't return to in that episode was indigenous religions, though, like the way they're spoken of in comparative religion studies. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm just feeling like in light of us discussing Christianity as dominant state religions, world religion, all those kind of things like over superimposed on top of these more small scale indigenous religions. I mean, typically these are classified as like proselytizing isn't really part of indigenous religions and typically they tend to be more pluralist mm -hmm. in nature also something that sets them aside is that they're traditionally passed down through oral storytelling there's not many texts necessarily huh yeah i'm i'm just like i'm, I'm struck by the the eurocentric mode of just kind of trying to superimpose, you know, we come bearing gifts and really like in parentheses, it's like, and hurt and trauma, right? Like mm -hmm. we come to replace you because you are not getting the full picture. And I think Josh, you're speaking to the nuance of how folks have been able to embrace that and hold two realities at once. Like I think of, I mean, I was just in Scotland, right? I think of the, the Celts, when they were encountering encountering the Christian missionaries and how the Christians were basically coming with a message of like, yeah, okay, you have all these nature gods and all this kind of stuff, but here, let me show you how you're kind of right, but here's something more right and I have it. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where we get the Celtic cross where they're trying to kind of like assimilate just enough to be like, yeah, you can include the image of the sun, but it's, it's behind the cross because that's like the real revelation of the universe, right? It strikes me as so arrogant. Yeah, it's like a, I know God better than you mentality. Right. And just like we said last episode, like that, I think you have the bravery to say, I know God better than you when you have the power of a military behind you at the same time, right? right? Was, was Celtic Christianity kind of enforced by 
Catholicism? Was that primarily a Catholic missionary movement? From what little I know, I think so. Stephen might know more, though. I believe so. I mean, I think St. Patrick is kind of the famous Mm -hmm. one for kind of being the first, quote unquote, the first to step on that Mm -hmm. land. And Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that's like intriguing to me is I feel like I've heard people uphold how, um, and of course, this is much more nuanced, I think, than this view, but I've heard people uphold Catholicism as partially being so successful because of how they assimilated to other cultures and like included other people's like Mm -hmm. iconography or practices or like, like starting to recognize saints from around the world. Um, And I think like on some level that is true, but then like it, like we also see the other end of the spectrum of that with like native boarding schools and re-education. But also they own that, that was a trick of the trade they learned from the Roman empire. The Roman Empire was doing that first. As they expanded, they realized they couldn't get everyone to assimilate to exactly the empire's ideal. So they said, like, yeah, you can keep your pagan gods, but we're just going to put the Roman gods here, too. And you have to, like, pay our taxes there and visit our temple once a month. But you can keep yours. Right. Like that. Mm -hmm. That was a thing they learned from the Romans. Mm. That's a tool of empire. That's not a tool of religion. I don't think. And co-opted for sure. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That that was a way of securing borders, really, was to be like, no, we're friendly. We're not going to like totally destroy you, right? I mean, like that was even mm-hmm. the modus and then operandi. They did. Well, but that was even the mm-hmm. modus operandi of Xerxes, who took, who basically like conquered Babylon while Israel was in Rome. He was like, hey, you can go back, you can rebuild your temple. It's fine. You just mm-hmm. you're under Persian rule, right? And the Israelites mm-hmm. took that with a lot of grief and a lot of heaviness. They built a temple that they weren't that didn't even like compare to the glory of Solomon's temple, but they were like, here it is. Yeah. I guess this is what we get. And we're going to have to be grateful for it because Xerxes is, you know, he's giving us a gift and w- with one hand with a dagger hidden behind his back in the other. That was the vibe, right? You know, what is fascinating after hearing both of your thoughts, I think about John Wesley and his work in Georgia and the native Americans down there. And it was, horrendous can you speak to some of that oh yeah oh yeah let me tell you so john wesley yeah i don't know any of this john wesley makes his way to like savannah georgia and he sends a couple bishops like one of them was uh bishop strawbridge and i think asbury also to go and to work with the native americans to basically bring jesus to these people and some of the bishops were like hey, these are great people. Like they're teaching us a lot and we're learning from them. And John Wesley basically was like, yeah, no, they're heathens. They are less than human Mm. and we need to correct this behavior. And he later on in life kind of learned the error of his ways, but it was still very much like they are beneath us. They are lacking in knowledge. We need to teach them Jesus. Yeah. And so with all this to say, and after hearing both of you sharing your thoughts, I'm reminded of Christians today who oftentimes will say, I feel the most connected to God when I'm in nature. Ooh, yeah. And I think about Native Americans who are very much in touch with nature. And it's like, why mm. <laughs> are we trying to correct their behavior and their faith practices and then in turn we basically do the same thing it's just different it's more white it's <laughs> it's just done differently yeah true but we basically took that and morphed it into our own and we belittled native americans for being in touch with mother nature and it's it just that's where i get that pit in my stomach of like, you're doing it wrong. Here's the right way to do it. But then we took what was right and we morphed it into our own and we're completely comfortable with that. Doesn't that strike you as almost uh, like a form of gaslighting of like, we know God better, so you need to conform to our ways of worship. And then somewhere along the way, we realize we lost something that you, your tradition could have taught us, but we don't want to admit that you could have taught us that. So we're going to pretend right. like we discover right. it for ourselves. Right. Right. It's just yeah, absolutely. Like I think no matter what you call it, like whether it's like religious cultural genocide or like uh, Mm. like co-opting at best, 
but like to just like yeah like on one hand to call it demonic and then in the next breath be like no this is it's like that meme have you seen that meme where yes you know what i'm talking about yes two stick figures for it's a three panel cartoon first panel (laughs) is stick figure one and stick figure to a thing and they say i made this and then the second panel is stick figure two holding that and then the next panel is stick figure two saying i made this (laughs) okay and it's like it's been it's been adapted to many forms like uh yeah uh president 45 and kim jong-un and like the peace treaties and like <laughs> like it's it's so, it's so applicable especially on the internet but like absolutely i think christianity has done that and like i think that's really difficult um, emily i think that point about like being connected to nature is a great fucking point like mm-hmm. yeah it's it is actually crazy to me how many things christianity has tried to write off from other cultures and religions even just in america and honestly i think it all i know we're trying to like focus on the american specific christian relation to native american culture because i think that's really interesting so i don't want to i don't want to divert us too much but like i think it all comes back to christian exclusivism yeah mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. and like yes i like do you think that there is a oh man here's a question that i don't think we can answer here <laughs> so uh do you think it's possible to believe in the truth of Christianity without being exclusivist. Ooh. And and borderline Christian superiorist. Ooh. Because like for instance, maybe to like maybe to like export the conversation for a minute while you like just chew on that for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was a part of a grant funded research project through rocky mountain college where i did my bachelor's and we went down to the reservation um this was a multi-year project that i got to be on and we created and led an after-school program at a catholic school on the reservation for adolescent substance abuse prevention um we presented it was like nih funded we actually went to dc and like presented our research and it was done in collaboration with actually a woman who went to my dad's church, but she was very, very involved both in the school and on the reservation, was considered a highly respected elder. And so, like, on one hand, we were coming from, we were, we were trying to base the whole program in the literature, in the science, but also in the literature and the science of Native American health and study. And, like, of course, like every minority group's all the study of minority groups and minority identities is so limited. Like it, we're so focused on like, we just study men or we just study women or we just study white people. Like it's like research gets so, so siloed because like they're trying to find like best fit for everybody. So like most applicable results. Right. So like, of course all minority research is in the minority. So like this was done heavily in collaboration with, I don't think she would mind me saying her first name with, with Sarah, the elder from the reservation. And I will admit, I don't, I don't think it was perfect. Like we would look into and study like health practices and concepts that were present from the tribe. And then we would use those as anchor points to teach the children substance abuse prevention, but like through trying to like marry some of the science with some concepts that were already embedded in the culture. So I don't think that's perfect methodology. I, I should be clear. Like I, I think that there are major limitations and potential really big problems with that. But I do think that that is a step in the right direction in terms of like showing that science, which tends to be very Western-focused and very dominant culture and dominant uh, population-focused, that can still... like Findings from that can still be aligned and married to concepts that are minority focused culturally focused even spiritually focused like we we even got into like some spiritual concepts that like even just the idea that like abusing a substance hurts your spirit like it hurts your life force like whether or not you're putting like like no matter the terms that are being used like we we did take sometimes a spiritual angle all of that to say i think that science and religion can be compatible to teach us things. And I also think that science and non-Western focused views of health can be compatible. 
like mm. like different approaches can be complementary. So, back up into my question: Do you think that Christian thought can be true and not exclusivist? Can it be compatible with other thoughts and approaches and still be true? I have a feeling what both of you are going to say, but I don't want to just put it in your mouth. If you were so to I guess, I want to hear your what, answer first. Well, what would you guess if you guessed? I think Stephen is going to have a very. <laughs> I think Stephen is going to have a certain answer, and I think I'm going to agree with him. And I think Emily's going to have a certain answer, and I think I will disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to lead you into answers on this. <laughs> Let's find out who you agree with. Those guys. <laughs> or maybe you're going to be closer than I think. Like maybe I'm, I could be wrong. Steven, you go first. No, I said nose goes. <laughs> oh, I, it'd be different if I saw you say no nose goes. No, I know. I, um, <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Mm, okay. I'm going to say yes. What, what leads you to say? Josh is keeping a poker face. Yes. <laughs> Shut up, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say yes only because... There is, off the top of my head, there is one example where we see other elements outside of Christianity being blended with Christianity that are wholesome and hold true to Christian value. And that would be the Native American church in the United States. Mm. Mm. Like, those, are you mentioning, are you trying to say like those of whom, who have decided to remain both? Like, that's your like main uh, bulk of evidence. Yes. I mean, a very relevant example. Okay. I think it could be argued that that openness for the Native American church to hold space for Christianity is because of their tradition of being pluralist within the indigenous religious system. Ooh. Ooh. I don't think the pluralism, yeah. I don't think the compatibility is coming from Christianity because Josh, probably predictably, I say no. <laughs> Those were my predictions. Does it have to come specifically like I guess that wasn't your question, yeah. No, that's an interesting question though. I like that question. Like does it have to come specifically from Christianity for Christianity to be compatible? Yes. Yes it does because Christianity mm. is the group, is the foundation, is the system that has amends to make. Can you say that again? Christian the the Motivation for the compatibility of any religious system to be pluralist with Christianity. I think the Native American church is a great example because it is a blending as far as I can tell. However, I think it's on Christianity. The burden of it's like the burden of proof. It's like the burden of the work rests on Christianity's shoulders because frankly, they stole that burden from people when they use force to begin with. So, Are we saying Christianity or Christians? Sure, both. Yes, all of the above. I would say both. Because if you claim to represent that system, then you have work as a representative of that system to do. And in general, I would consider it, in light of last episode, we were talking about Christianity being a dominant state world religion, essentially. I mean, like we wouldn't say state in America because of our separation of church and state thing. But um, I think if you want to be a representative of that, then you're the, you're the person who has to take the first step toward making, like making amends and enacting repentance. Cause I think Christianity was the, I think Christianity, European centric Christianity mm. is the perpetrator of the abuse. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. We're not denying that. Right. So, I want the initial, the first move toward repentance to be on the shoulders of the people who stand in the lineage of those abusers and of those perpetrators, because I think it truly lies on their shoulders. I think they're culpable. So the open handedness of another tradition to include says way more about that tradition than it does Christianity. Mm. I also still struggle with hearing Christian as a label and not assuming that that requires some sort of doctrinal assent, which is why I think just logically the answer to your original question, Josh is no, 
I think to believe in the truth of Christianity is to inherently hold exclusivist ideas because you must confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who has risen. OCD is more than what you see on TV and in the movies. Imagine being worried about committing a sin in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make it go away. That is religious OCD. It comes with unrelenting intrusive images, thoughts, and urges about breaking a religious rule or offending God. No CD offers effective, affordable, and convenient exposure response prevention therapy. ERP therapy, which is a type of CBT, is considered the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. As someone currently seeing a therapist having conversations about scrupulosity or religious OCD, I can say personally how helpful this treatment has been for gaining new perspective. Breaking the OCD cycle takes effective, evidence-based treatment. To find out more about NoCD, visit nocd.com to book a free 15-minute call. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. So that's that's really interesting to me, even though I do I did think you were going to think that. <laughs> Not that you're... <laughs> you pitted the pastor and the atheist against each other. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're just like that predictable, but what's really interesting to me about your answer now is that I think you would have answered with Emily circa what earlier this year before you were firmly an atheist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Or am yes. I putting that in your mouth? Like you, Maybe. you would have said you are a Christian universalist. So therefore, like Christianity is not exclusively true in the sense that other things are going to send you to hell. Or would you would you still have said? I mean, I guess it's hard for you to say now, but like, I just imagine that you would have said that you can be Christian and other identities, like Buddhist or Native American, yeah, indigenous. I think that's fair. I I think we can all make the assumption that I would have said that. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but like nowadays, you don't see it that way. So I mean, that no. is interesting to me. But I guess that it. I guess that tracks. I really like. So Emily, I think I, I agree with you and <laughs> I agree with you both. I think I agree with you both. This sure. is, and I think, I think my point of agreement comes from, I think that Christianity is culpable in the same way that the U S government is culpable. I mean, I, I think it could be an interesting question of like, well, who should pay reparations then? Like, should it be churches right. or should it be the government? And should those inner fear at all like that's an interesting question i think that could be a fun thought experiment but like i think ultimately yes christianity should claim responsibility and it should be on present-day christians to not just be aware and like reconcile their faith with the harm that their faith has caused to those people but also Mm -hmm. being open to the fact that if that they should not that they should not be the ones to tell other people that it's compatible, that Native Americans are the ones who have the right to say whether or not it's yes. compatible. Mm-hmm. And, yes. And I don't think that invalidates your opinion, Emily. Like, I don't, I don't think you're going out there and like telling people, like trying to convert people like that. But like, 
Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I feel like that's where your two opinions kind of meet together. Is like yeah, in that's the, fair. Like at this point, I think it would be extremely unethical for there to be missionaries, white missionaries, to reservations. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and, I, mm-hmm. and I don't think that there are many, probably anymore. Definitely not in the same way that there used to be. I think in the same way, LGBTQ people in the church absolutely have mm-hmm. the right to claim that they're both. And, and Christians can say all they want. Oh, no, you belong. But like, I mean, we talked about this forever ago, but like Stephen, I feel like Stephen brought up the point about like, well, yeah, but if like the majority of Christians say I don't belong, then I don't belong. Even if like somebody else, I don't remember exactly what we were talking. Oh, I think we were talking about atheism. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I about the table. I don't think that holds though. Sure, but I feel like applied to this situation, if the majority of Christians are saying, I mean, not that it's just a majority opinion, but like if most Christians believe in exclusivism, then like it's not on them to include. I I feel like Stephen, I feel like Stephen, you are onto something about like the burden is on Christians to reconcile and to repent. It's, but but it's, it's also on white Christians. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's just it. We're ta- we we are talking about people who hold an identity other than being white. So, for example, my friend Calvin Hill, who is Navajo and is serving the church in Newcastle currently, he came and preached um, not too long ago here at my church because I was gone for a Sunday. He mm. is very much fully in tuned with his Navajo faith experiences and traditions and values and is 100 percent a christian and devotes himself to christianity and says jesus is my lord and savior and he is very much in that mindset but as a native he gets to claim that identity for himself and hold space for native practices at the same time and only he can do that as a white christian we have responsibility to say yeah this was not like if john wesley was here today I would slap him in the face and say, listen here, bro, you don't get to tell our native brothers and sisters that they're heathens when their practices are just as wholesome and full of integrity as our practices. Just because it looks different does not make it any less valuable. And who's to say that God is not with them? Mm -hmm. Like you don't get to determine that. And so I feel like responsibility is on white Christians. I agree with that. I mean, like, I think it just, it just goes back to the point that I made in episode 109, I think about who is Christian that I think Mm -hmm. Christians are whoever they say they are Christians. I think, I feel like that point still stands for me. What were you going to say, Steven? Sorry, I was cutting you off. Uh, I don't remember. Shoot. Sorry. Sorry. It's fine. I do have a question though. Cause I have an opinion, but much like Josh earlier, I'm not going to betray my opinion and I'm just going to ask the question straight out. And then I want to see what you guys have to say. Oh heavens. Is John Wesley bringing the gospel to folks he called heathens the same move in spirit as Paul bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He's bringing a gospel. What do you mean? Like you can say you're doing something, but your actions totally say something else. Well, so would you say, would you say the actions of Paul and John Wesley were equivalent? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Really? I feel like John Wesley's were worse. Oh, worse by far. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think they are similar in that regard, though, where actions did not fully align with what they were preaching. Okay, sure. I mean, I guess I guess why I say worse is not just because of the cultural like the cultural genocide that was affiliated with the colonization of Christianity in the US, but but I I guess a bigger distinction in my mind is that I think Paul was coming from the stance of like this is the new development of Judaism and I think the majority of Christians like believe that um that Paul completely saw being Christian as being Jewish, like sure. truly Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he was preaching that to the, to his own culture. And I feel like a similar, I feel like a more similar uh, 
analogy would be if there was a uh, Native American prophet that like uh, like rose up and tried to like unify all of the indigenous faiths under one umbrella or something like 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 trying to like propose a new form, a new mm-hmm. evolution of what already existed rather than trying to and but also I do think that that is a there's like a superior element to it so I think they're very similar in that regard that like this takes precedence kind of ideology yeah I don't feel convinced that as much as I think that anyone can be a Christian if they say they are a Christian they actually mean that they're not just being like yeah they're like being sincere about it um, so like as much as I think Native Americans can be fully Native American and wait Christian, you just said anyone can be a Christian if they claim it but it's still up to someone else because if they're not sincere about it, then they're not. No, I don't think it's up to someone else. I, I think it's like a truly a self measure. So like, I don't see but that. All, but then you kind of get into like faith without works kind of situation. Like that's kind of inevitable. I think. Sure. Which is inherently judged by either fellow Christians or, you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it was Paul who was like, <laughs> Our job isn't to judge the world, it's to judge those of us in the brethren. Like, we we keep each other in right. line, right? So, like... Well, no, I still think that. Like, if someone says they are a Christian, then you can hold them to that standard, too. So, like, I do think there's, like, a little bit of, like, faith and works and stuff in there. Yeah, but that standard... Man, what was I going to say? As we've, sorry. I'm sorry. I've, I sidetracked us. I'm just saying, but like... No, you're that, right. You're th- right. That being held to whatever standard you want to say, like... Oh, you're a Christian? Then you're get, you're getting held to X standard. I feel like X is truly a variable because the standard of being a Christian has changed every century yeah. for the last twenty centuries. And with every group, it gets to de- be defined by the people in power, whether they're Catholic, whether they're Protestant, whether they're whether they speak in tongues, or 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 they, if they lack a lot of melanin in their skin and they come from North Europe, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just well, actually, that that gets to what I was trying to make the point of is that I don't think Christianity can exist as a belief structure without being superiorist, like not just exclusivist, but fully superior. Yeah, uh, on this we definitely agree, <laughs> and I think that that is honestly one of my biggest faith struggles is like not not just all of the like beliefs that have unraveled for me but like not really knowing how to come to terms with like the power of religion and like Hmm. like that i think that christianity in its essence not just in its beliefs but like i think in its essence as a structure believes in being superior and i Mm -hmm. don't and, and it's so backwards to me because i think that like the asks of christianity of jesus are very selfless and humility and like putting yourself like putting others above yourself i think it's very beautiful and honestly very similar to like many tribal faiths very communal Mm -hmm. and so i i I think one of my biggest question marks the last couple years has been like can any form regardless of like what happened originally can any current form of christianity exist without creating that superior power structure and i'm not convinced it can even with the best of intentions. What do you think, Emily? <laughs> Cause Steven is just going to agree with me on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's okay if you don't have an answer to, I don't, I, I'm not expecting you to have an answer or the answer. Like, I think this is something that I've been like, thinking about and honestly not knowing really how to talk about for years too. Cause it's like so broad sweeping because of like, right. things like the crusades and native Americans. And like, there's just so many examples of, like the ways that Christianity has been used to be superior. And I completely agree with like both of your sentiments that like it's on Christians to reconcile it. And I think that that's why I still wrestle with it too, is because like, I feel that obligation still, Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. the greatest irony of it is because I mean, like I'm convinced that it is on Christians to do that work to reconcile, but I'm also convinced that the majority of those Christians wouldn't recognize that responsibility because they don't want it because they do think they're superior and exclusive. So the work is just not going to get done. I think we're trying to cast a net over too many people. Like Mm. we're trying to say that Christians either do this or don't do that when there are so many people who live into their Christian identity so differently. I think about 
Christians in America are very different than Christians in the Philippines. And they're very different than Christians in Europe. And I feel like we are just casting a net over Christians specifically in America. And context plays key. And I think also how culture plays key and how Christianity was brought to other parts of the world and how that's now been deeply ingrained into their society. And I think it's just so big that it's hard to it's hard to use that brush and stroke it over something when it's just too big of a canvas to cover. So I guess in this case, we can count me guilty of the original sin of casting that net too wide. Cause I mean, this entire conversation sure. truly like I'm guilty of the exact problem that you presented as the question of the episode. Emily is like, I'm guilty of centralizing my experience as an American ex Christian. So like, when I'm when I'm painting big brush, big net, and I say it's on Christians and the majority of Christians don't want to X, Y, and Z, I'm saying American. I guess I'll just clarify that then. Sure, sure, yeah. Because I agree with you. I think, like, we are clearly not privy to, like, the specificities of what's going on in other cultures, experienced in cultures that are different than ours in many ways. but. I think we are closer to like the core of it because we are the beneficiaries of the like the legacy of the Eurocentric Christianity we're still talking about. Like whether that be America, mm-hmm. that means we're also talking about most of Europe because now we're including like the Spanish Inquisition, right? Um, we're talking about Central America because of the Spanish. I'd even say we're talking about like Canada uh, and like the, the French impact. We're talking about Australia. Like, I, I think that spreads pretty far still. But yeah, I agree. I will add, I also think it's more than just Christians that need to take responsibility. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, how far do you want to go? Do you want to say Abrahamic religion? Uh, yeah. Great. I agree. Like, it, like so f- in this case, I think it would be easy for people to say, well, I'm not Christian. That's, I wasn't involved with that. Right. Much like how people would say, my, you know, my family didn't own slaves. That wasn't, I wasn't a part of that problem. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. Steven, you have responsibility to claim just as much as Josh and I do. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think there's a good argument for that. I think that, uh, but I think the question remains too. Like, I think this is why I'm not known how to talk about it for the last couple of years too, is like, what does that even mean? Like, like what does that mean beyond? Mm-hmm loving my neighbor and not committing those atrocities that other people did. Does that mean posting about it on social media or does that mean like just learning on my own or does it mean all of it? Like life's work kind of stuff, you know? All and like, it. yeah, totally. Yeah. All of totally. it. Yeah. It's knowing mm-hmm. what are your areas of weakness in regards to knowledge or understanding. It's, contacting people who are in the know it's putting your boots on the ground and saying action is just as important as words you know i think of like my friend maddie who's going to be serving on campus ministry here in nebraska soon and she is a huge advocate for changing legislation in nebraska senate and she is constantly you know, either petitioning or vocalizing from a clergy standpoint, why, Mm. you know, equal pay matters, why maternity leave matters, why paternity leave matters and all these other things that we like just wouldn't think of. It's educating yourself and putting yourself out there. And it looks different for everyone because either people learn differently or their ability to be physically involved is limited but there are ways that we can and should (laughs) actively try to engage in changing the institutions and there are so many ways to do that but it won't happen if we don't try to start like we need to flip tables and that looks differently for people but we need to be the ones calling out the bullshit well emily i was gonna bring up i think a lot of people become not christian anymore because they see it as the best 
case possible for them to like take their influence and like potential for Christian harm out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not saying Stephen did that. Maybe that was some of your motivation, Stephen. Uh, you can speak to that yourself. Uh, but like, I man, I'm trying to think of a better way to like sum summarize that. But like, do you kind of see what I'm trying to I, say? I, like, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of people, right? To participate in some way implies complicity. Yes, that's level. exactly what I'm trying to get at. Correct. And I think that many people are motivated by that, especially after growing up in a religion that preaches so much about justice and forgiveness. And then you like look at a marginalized group and you're like, whoa, they fucking did justice and forgiveness way fucking better than we ever could yeah. because yeah. they forgave their oppressors. And that's what Christianity is about. And so like in some ways, I think Native American Christians are more Christian than white Christians. And they always will be. Amen. Like Anglo Christians don't get to decide mm -hmm. what Christianity is. Yeah. And I will admit, I'm tempted by that. I'm tempted by that as a white man that I'm like, I don't know if I can ever live up to Christianity, especially given my place in society. And mm -hmm. I am tempted. I'm like tempted partly by redemption and like being a good Christian. And I think that there's maybe some ego in that for sure. And I'm also tempted by just like taking myself out of the equation. Yeah. And like, but I also really like, it's very tempting to me. Like, like belief aside, I'm like, mm -hmm. that's part of my reason, I think, for like not wanting to attend church, even a good one. Like, because I think there's, there's many good churches out there like yours, Emily. Mm -hmm. But like that, like being complicit in a power structure that has enabled so much abuse, like to me feels tempting to just check out forever. Yeah, I think that is a particular uh, pitfall to white Eurocentric Christianity uh, because we had the luxury of getting all up in our head and becoming Theo bros about it. And making podcasts. And I would say the 15th and 16th century Germans uh, were a big part of that legacy with the Reformation in particular because, yeah, it is amazing that we can look at examples of American indigenous folks black Christians in America, hello, like taking that and being more Christian than any of us could. And I say us being white European people is because we, we had the luxury of getting all up in our head about it because we were at the top of society at that point. And we just had to find something to bitch about. But like when it gets to what seems like the best examples of Christianity, it is I, you know, it, it is more minority driven. But this is exactly why you like, Stephen, if you were a Christian, you're still invited. But if you were a Christian and Josh, <laughs> like borderline Christian. <laughs> um, Changing my bio right borderline now. Borderline Christian. This is why you guys are a part of the equation is because you are aware. Yeah, completely agree. That's what's needed is that awareness. Mm -hmm. And when you take yourselves out, you're leaving behind the people who are being ignorant and choosing to yeah. negate that. It's creating a vacuum. Yeah, I don't disagree with that either. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I, there, there's a part of my mind that's saying like some of that critique is easier to do from the outside than the in. And again, I hear how that is just dripping with privilege on its own because I'm still playing the head game of you are yeah. the intellectual parts of it. So... I can totally hear that. I guess to speak, I mean, like vaguely personally, because this is actually like the most sensitive bit of my therapeutic work right now with my therapist is this, this is part of it. Why leaving church and why Christianity uh, felt right to me. And I'm realizing that a lot of my, uh, like my body was doing a lot more protecting of me than my head. Cause there were, there were people pleasing tendencies that was like, no, I'll stay at this church and, help out and all these kind of things but the stress my body was under and what i was able to name just recently is the actual religious trauma that i experienced in church got to be too much and truly starting to feel complicit in that felt dangerous and felt wrong and brought a lot of shame and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and those are also very <laughs> that is those are very complicated feelings to be dealing with um so i won't speak too much beyond that though i would recommend a few resources that have kind of recently been uh keeping me thinking along these lines 
put out by Dr. Hillary McBride. She just released a wonderful podcast series called Holy Hurt, dissecting spiritual and religious trauma. And the last episode, entitled Unsettling Ourselves, is a whole episode that deals with how we, as folks who would, as, as Emily is rightly pointing to me and Josh, as we who would be identified with those who are complicit or those who used to perpetrate how we deal with what turns out is like actual trauma in our bodies because we are in the lineage of abusers, not just those who were abused, right? Uh, so that podcast was huge. And also a lot of my, I guess a lot of my earlier arguments were coming from the book we just recently did in the book club in our Patreon on Repentance and Repair by Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. Those will be in the show notes. Emily, what resources do you have? Like, I feel like you are probably more well-read um, on this issue and also on issues like this and theology. Do you have any to suggest? So one person, and this is speaking to like specifically Native American spirituality and the mix of Christianity, one person that I would definitely read into, um, and I mentioned him earlier, is Tink Tinker. He is phenomenal. He is a renowned American Indian cultural historian, um, theologian, and he does a lot of work with like the theology of sovereignty, spiritual resistance, and works in the missionary conquest so like talking about the gospel and native american genocide he is a professor at iliff and he does a lot of work on progressive social action in regards to minorities and american christianity that would be someone that i would suggest Hmm. and then like from there you can kind of go down rabbit holes and find other authors and theologians discussing the same thing but maybe speaking to other groups um so like one of the works that my professor in um seminary did was the works of lgbtq individuals and christianity you know so like things like that where you're holding multiple identities and (laughs) so there's i think there's just a lot of resources out there you just have to like know where to go basically Mm -hmm. being mindful you know I'm going to suggest a book that I've never read by an indigenous author who is a Christian. Her name's Caitlin Curtis. Have either of you yes. read her? That or name her? sounds familiar. Yes. yes. She's been on Bible um, for normal people. Yeah. Shout out. So yeah. people should go listen to that episode. Um, she's a member of the Potawatomi Nation and she is a Christian. Uh, she did come out with a book called Native. Subtitle is Identity, Belonging, and Rediscovering God. And it looks like she's about to come out or no. She just came out with a new book this year called Living Resistance, an indigenous vision for seeking wholeness every day, which that one to me sounds like that one's a little bit less Christian focused, but it is no less human focused Mm -hmm. the looks of it. So, uh, Emily, you have encouraged me to pick up at least one of, if not both of these books, because I remember seeing these books floating around social media when Native came out in 2020, and I've seen her tweets, I followed her on Twitter, and... I've just never picked up one of her books. And I think I felt for a long time that I should. And to be honest, I fell off the bandwagon on it. So thank mm. you. Thank you for this conversation. And thank you for the the profound reminder that I don't think there's an easy answer to this and Christian identity for me or for other people either. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I think that you're absolutely right that like we should always be learning and listening. And as cheesy as that sounds... I, I want to do that, <laughs> like regardless of how my beliefs continue to unravel or what my feelings are about church and Christianity. I don't think it's cheesy, Josh. <laughs> I'm listening and learning. That was cheesy. Okay, it's cheesy when people do it and they don't mean that it. Was That's cheesy. what makes it cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, how do you want to end? I would like to share in a prayer, and it comes from a Cherokee tradition. Peace and happiness are available in every moment. Peace is every step. We shall walk hand in hand. There are no political solutions to spiritual problems. Remember, if the creator put it there, it is in the right place. The soul would have no rainbow if the eyes had no tears. 
Tell your people that since we were promised we should never be moved, we have been moved five times. Five times.